scripture reading this morning is from the Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. If you'd like to follow along, it's on pages 1192 of the Pew Bible. And I'll be reading from the King, New King James Version. Second Peter 1, 5 through 7. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. You may want to get used to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, because that will be our scripture reading for a few weeks as we study this passage uh, in the coming series that we're doing. Last week I introduced us to this study from this, this passage, and, and, and the key to this passage is that it talks about these things we're supposed to add to our faith. And so this series is called Faith Plus, and it's going to be an investigation of these characteristics, these qualities, these traits, these attributes, these virtues that we're told must be added to our faith. And since we're talking about addition today, I thought it might be enjoyable to start with a few math puns, just to warm us up a little bit. Now, I'm not a huge fan of puns, but there are many of you who really like a good pun now and then, so let me share a few of these with you. What's a math teacher's favorite kind of tree? Geometry. Listen, I'm not saying these are good, because I don't think puns are good, but this is just to warm us up a little bit. How do you make seven an even number? You drop the S. Some of you are really having a hard time warming up this morning. <laughs> what shape do you always have to be careful of? A trapezoid. <laughs> I told you these are awful. Are monsters good at math? Not unless you count Dracula. There are three kinds of people in this world. Those who can count and those who can't. Just making sure you get it. And this might be the worst one of them all, but I could not resist it. Why do teenagers always travel in groups of three, five, or seven? Because they can't even. Now, I start with these awful, awful math puns, because today we begin studying what Peter instructs us to add to our faith. And the first thing that Peter says we must add to our faith is a Greek term, arete. Now, that's not a word that's going to mean anything to you. You don't know what arete is. Uh, you just think I'm pronouncing something at random. I'm making up a word because I do that all the time. 
But I want us to understand what this word means today, and I'm using the Greek just because our translations, our English translations, vary on how they choose to translate this term. So if you're looking at your Bible, and if you're using the English Standard Version, or the King James Version, or the New King James Version, you're going to see that this term is rendered virtue. If you're using the New American Standard Version, it will use the phrase moral excellence. And if you've chosen to use the NIV Version, it employs the term goodness. This morning, I'm actually going to follow the NIV's terminology simply because I personally find it to be the term I can wrap my head around the most. So I'm going to refer to it today as goodness. This Greek term, arete, that appears in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 and doesn't really appear that much in the New Testament altogether, I'm going to refer to as goodness. But here's the thing, when we think about goodness, when we think about virtue, or we think about moral excellence, the thing that comes to our mind most often is this idea of morality, of, of being ethical and being good in the sense of being right and pure, moral and ethical. And those things are certainly included in the biblical concept of goodness here. But today, I want us to see goodness in a bigger picture. I want us to understand that there's more to what this term is saying we must add to our faith than just being ethical and moral. There's more to being good than may meet the eye. And so consider today, what does goodness mean? Well, first, I want you to understand that goodness means imitating Christ. Okay, I know I didn't, that's not a, a deep theological statement that you've never heard before. I, I know I'm not stretching the borders of your mental capacity right now, but listen to me on, on what I mean by this. See, the term arete that I'm referring to as goodness here in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, it actually appears just a couple of verses before this in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And if you look back at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, the text references Christ's own glory and excellence, or his own glory and goodness, or his glory and virtue, depending on which translation you read. And the point is that before we're instructed to add goodness to our faith, we are told that goodness is a characteristic of Christ. That means that when it comes to adding goodness, Christ is our measuring stick. But what specifically about Christ is this term indicating that we should emulate? While the term translated goodness here in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 is often, often associated with moral correctness, it also suggests steadiness, dependability, and consistency of character. In other words, someone or something is good because it is not two-faced, it does not engage in double standards, it is not hypocritical. That's a, a component of what it means to be good. Do you remember what Jesus called himself in John chapter 10, verse 11? It's one of those I am statements. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I am the good shepherd. Now, what's interesting to me about that declaration is that the very name good shepherd implies that there must be some bad shepherds, right? 
And this becomes evident when you go to Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus criticizes and even condemns the leaders of the day, the so-called shepherds of the Jewish people of the first century. So if you go to Matthew chapter 23, this is what you'll read in verse 2 and verse, through verse 4 of that chapter. Matthew 23, verses 2 through 4. Jesus said, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay, they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus speaks against the religious leaders of the day, saying they don't practice what they preach, saying they tell you to do things, but they don't do them themselves. He's telling his audience that those who are in leadership positions of the day are hypocrites. And then he goes on to say, but I am the good shepherd. You know one reason Jesus is the good shepherd? I'm not saying this is the only reason, but one reason he's the good shepherd is because he never asks us to do anything that he himself would not do. Do you realize that? Journey through the New Testament and look at all the ways in which we're instructed to imitate him, and then consider whether or not he did it first. So for instance, we're instructed to serve like Jesus. John chapter 15 and verse uh, 13, or excuse me, John chapter 13 and verse 15, where he says, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And when did he say that? Right after he got down on his hands and knees and put a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet. He calls on us to imitate his service, but only after he first served. We're instructed to have the same humble attitude as Jesus in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, to have this attitude or this mind of Christ. But only after we learn that Jesus humbled himself by emptying himself of divine prerogatives in order to be born in the likeness of men, according to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. We're called to emulate his attitude, his humility, but only after he first demonstrated it by coming to this earth in human form. We're instructed in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, to forgive like Jesus. But remember, he's the one who hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We're called to imitate him when it comes to forgiveness, but only after he's done it. And we're instructed to die to ourselves in order to follow Jesus. Matthew chapter 16 verse 24 calls on us to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And what did Jesus say the good shepherd does back there in John chapter 10 and verse 11? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which is exactly what Jesus did at Calvary. You see, one reason Jesus is the good shepherd is because he practices what he preaches. Jesus never asks us to do something that he is unwilling to do. That's consistency of character. That's the absence of hypocrisy. That's goodness in a nutshell. 
And one of the ways we are to imitate Christ is by having that same steadiness of character. That no one would ever accuse us of being a hypocrite. That no one can ever accuse us of having double standards. That no one ever accuse us of failing to practice what we preach. Pictured on the screen is Old Faithful, a geyser in Yellowstone National Park that was discovered and named in 1870. Since then, it has become the world's most famous geyser. And the interesting thing about Old Faithful is that its eruptions are not the tallest in the world or even Yellowstone Park. Nor are its eruptions the longest lasting in the world or even in Yellowstone National Park. But it is by far the most popular geyser. And the reason it's the most popular geyser is because it's the most consistent. Old Faithful has erupted more than a million times since Yellowstone became the world's first national park in 1872. And currently it erupts around 20 times a day. Its eruptions can be predicted with a 90% confidence rate within a 10-minute variation based on the duration and the height of the previous eruption. You know what that means? That means that the rangers are sitting there watching it erupt. They're timing it and they're measuring it, and then they can tell you when it's going to erupt again. And, they're going, and that eruption will happen within a 10-minute window of when they say it will. It is that consistent that they can predict it. Man, we need those guys as meteorologists, don't we? Old Faithful is the most famous geyser in the world simply because of its consistency. And like Old Faithful, our character should have that level of consistency about it. One thing that Peter is saying when he says we should add to our faith goodness or virtue, or moral excellence, one thing he is saying is that we should be adding this level of consistency that's emulated in the life of Christ. Goodness means imitating Christ, imitating Christ's consistency. And goodness also means thinking defensively. Now, outside of Peter's writings, this arete term, this term that gives us goodness, virtue, or moral excellence. It only appears one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. You may be familiar with this verse because in it, Paul tells us what we should think about. It's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, and he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, our word that we're using today appears at the end of this verse. When, P when Paul says, if there is any excellence, or if there is any virtue, depending on the translation you read, He's using the same word that Peter identified as the first thing we should add to our faith. And the point is that goodness is more than action. It's a mindset of decision-making that impacts every aspect of life, as one author wrote. But I want you to think, what does goodness 
really have to do with our thoughts, with our decision-making. Well, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, Jesus said, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And goes on to say the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Where does goodness come from? From within. Goodness is produced on the inside and comes out. Goodness starts within your heart. If your heart is good, then you might also be good, or I should say you might also behave good. It doesn't work the other way around. It has to start inwardly. And that's why it's important to heed what Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 tells us. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It's a call to defense, to defense of the heart. If we want to produce goodness, we have to start with the heart. And part of that involves protecting the heart. That's where Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 comes into play. Paul gives us six different filters that we are instructed to run our thoughts through in order to protect us from an unhealthy heart diet. And if you look at these, this list, here, there are six things he mentions. Whatever is true, that means those things that are accurate, factual, and verifiable, not according to the world standards, but according to the standard of God's Word. Whatever is honorable, those things that are good and positive and encouraging. Whatever is just, that's referring to those things that are right in the eyes of God. Those things that are pure. Those things that are blameless. Those things that are innocent. Those things that are lacking sin. Whatever is lovely, those things that are pleasing and acceptable to God. Whatever is commendable, those things that are readily reported to be good and righteous and wholesome. That's what you're supposed to think about. Paul indicates that if something passes all of these filters, then it will qualify as arete. It will qualify as goodness, that which is good, virtuous, or excellent. Because you notice, when he brings up goodness or excellence in this passage, it's in summation of all of these filters. And as one author said, the development of goodness means that everything that will be learned, everything that will be considered, everything that will be decided from this point forward will be run through the filters of truth, honesty, Justice, purity, loveliness, and that which is commendable. See, that's your defense system. That's how you protect your heart from things that are bad. If it can run through all six filters, then it is, in essence, a good thing that you're allowing to in your, your mind and your heart to ingest 
do you have your filters up? Are you sifting through every thought and every perceived thing, every, every item you ingest mentally? Is it being filtered? We understand filtration when it comes to water. Not many of us are just walking out and drinking water off the ground, are we? We drink water that has run through some sort of system. Your house has filtration going on because of your local water department. In some capacity, that water has been filtered. And many of us aren't satisfied with that. Many of us have a filter on our refrigerator so that water can get just a little bit pure. Or maybe you have one of those filters attached to your faucet or a container next to your sink that you filter your water through because it's not good enough just to go through this government-sponsored facility. We need more filtration, don't we? I kind of smile because my dad worked like 40 years for the water department, so he trusted that water. We filter water, but do we filter thoughts? Pictured on the screen is the United States Bullion Depository at Fort Knox. I've talked about it on a couple different sermons before. I love to bring it up because it is known for having one of the most immense security systems there is. It knows how to filter problems out. We don't know everything that is equipped at this particular facility. The few things we do know include the fact that the original vaults were 27 inches thick, made of steel and concrete, and they were impermeable to atomic blasts. The walls of the depository are four-foot-thick granite. The front door weighs nearly 22 tons and is made of blast-proof metal. The windows are sealed from the inside out. The glass is fireproof, bulletproof, and blackened so that no one can see inside. The foundation of this structure is composed of multiple layers of cement with 10 feet of solid granite on top. And let's not forget, the United States Bullion Depository is located in Fort Knox, an army base, hosting nearly 30,000 soldiers, 300 tanks, armed personal carriers, attack helicopters, and artillery. It's got the best defense system possible to protect what's inside, which is said to be uh, nearly 150 million ounces of gold and at times has housed important memorabilia like the Declaration of Independence, the British crown jewels, and things like that. If we're willing to build structures like this to protect material objects of earthly value, then why aren't we willing to just use a simple mental filtration system from Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 to protect the one asset that is most valuable? See, what it means to add goodness to our faith includes adding protection protection for our souls. Because goodness means thinking defensively. And one final thought. 
That is that goodness means fulfilling your purpose. As I've mentioned already, typically when we say that someone or something is good, we're referencing its morality. And while this term goodness does include the concept of moral excellence, that definition can be somewhat limiting. Because this term, arete, that's translated goodness, it was also used in Greek culture to denote the proper fulfillment of a thing. If a tool did its job, it was arete, it was good. If a land produced its crops, it was arete, it was good. To Greek philosophers, when anything fulfills its purpose, it was considered virtuous, good, or excellent. Think about Genesis chapter 1. When God created the universe, every time he completed an aspect of creation, what did he say? It is good. He makes the sun, the moon, and the stars. He says it is good. He forms the earth and says it is good. He makes the plants and the animals and he says it is good. Every time he made something, he said it is good. Now I want you to think, was God saying that these things were moral? When he declared the stars good, was he saying that they were kind to the planets? And when he declared the trees good, was he indicating that they were honest with the animals? No. When he said the things that he made were good, he was saying that they were doing what they were designed to do. So if we want to add goodness to our faith, then we must ask the question, what am I designed to do? And I think we find the answer in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7. There God said that everyone who he formed and made was created for his glory. In other words, God indicated that you and I were divinely designed to bring glory to him. In fact, that's the whole purpose of all creation. Look at Psalm 19, chapter 19 and verse 1, or Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, and you'll find out that all of creation was made to bring glory to God. And although all of creation reveals God's glory, mankind is uniquely equipped for this purpose. Because going back to that same creation account we were just talking about, Scripture repeatedly states that God made all living things according to their kind. He makes the plants and the trees according to their kind. He makes all the birds and the fish according to their kind. He makes the land animals according to their kind. But then he gets to man. And when he creates man, he doesn't say, let us make man according to its kind. He says, let us make man according to our image, after our likeness. That little detail indicates that more than anything else in all of creation, you and I are uniquely qualified to glorify and magnify the one in whose image we were made. We were specifically created by God to make God look good. I love the way one author made this comparison. He talked about ancient statues in the Roman world. 
He said, in the ancient world, great rulers would often set up statues of themselves in prominent places, not so much in their own home territory, but in their foreign or far-flung dominions. Far more statues of Roman emperors were found in Greece, Turkey, and Egypt than in Italy or Rome itself. For an emperor, the point of placing an image of yourself in the subject territory so that the subjects in that country would be reminded that you were their ruler and would conduct themselves accordingly. Think about it. You and I are God's image bearers. We are, in effect, His statues placed in far-flung reaches of His creation, and we are here to point the world toward Him. That's our purpose. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And the point is that we're here to represent the one who is the ultimate source of goodness. And we are good when we fulfill that purpose. See, this morning, goodness isn't just about doing what's right. It's so much more. And it's the very first thing that Paul says we must add to our faith. And so today, I want to ask you this. As you examine yourself and you consider this idea of goodness, do you have a character that's consistent like Christ. Can anyone, can anyone criticize you for being two-faced, for having double standards, for being hypocritical? Or is your life consistent in the same way that Christ's was? Do you practice what you preach? Because that's good. And I want you to think, today, examining your life and considering what goodness is, I want you to think about how you think. What do you ingest mentally? What do you allow inside your mind and into your heart through what you ingest from the media, whether that be television, movies, music, social media, whatever it might be? Are you filtering out the bad so that only the good is allowed in? And as you consider your life and this idea of goodness, are you fulfilling your God-given purpose to bring glory to Him? Because if you are, that's good. You see, all of us have the same objective. All of us who love the Lord, all of us who choose to follow Him have the same objective, and that's on the final day, to hear the words, well done, good, and faithful servant. The 
question today is this. Have you added the good part? If not, then we invite you to do so. While together we stand.